Welcome to Murder at Land Between the Lakes, a podcast about the unsolved murders of teenage sisters Carla Atkins and Vicki Stout, a 40-year-old cold case that took place in Dover, Tennessee. This is the next chapter, a season of justice, and we are your hosts, Amelia Courtney and Lainey Sullivan. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Murder at Land Between the Lakes. I'm Lainey Sullivan, and I'm here with Amelia Courtney, and we're excited to bring to you guys the latest episode of Murder at Land Between the Lakes and all the updates that we have available to share. Um, Yeah, it's great to be back, and this will be a short um, episode, but we wanted to come to you with what we do have and let you know um, a couple of things. First, we wanted to share some sad news with you and those of you that are not with us on our social media pages. And if we've calculated correctly, I guess uh, statistically about 50% of our listeners are not on our social media pages. So we wanted to share with you that over the last, I guess, five months, we've lost two people that are very important to us. one person, um, I lost my brother in October, who actually was my um, connection to B.J. Gordon, um, who was the nephew of Carla and Vicki. Uh, my brother died on Halloween, and then um, he actually was the one who kept, one of the ones who kept me going through this case, even when the times got tough. So um, that was a very hard time for, um, for me. But just recently, uh, we lost B.J. Gordon as well. B.J., you might remember, was in our first episode. And um, he talked, you know, about how he felt like solving this case was his birthright. Carl and Vicki were his aunts that he never got to meet. And um, he was born two years to the day after the girls went missing. So that being said, um, losing both Nick and BJ has made this case very personal um, to all of us. And um, we want to thank everyone for all their well wishes and everything that they, you know, all their thoughts and everything um, throughout this time. Um, And all their, you know, outpouring love and support. So thank you for that and being there with us through all of this. And BJ would be, I would be remiss to say if BJ would would be very proud of where this case is headed at this time. Yeah, and Amelia, um, we all have been heartbroken by both the loss of Nick and BJ. And it's just been a very trying time for everybody involved with the families and this case and understanding how important and personal this was to both Nick and BJ has given us the the motivation to also continue to bring justice for Carla and Vicki because they would both want to see that happen. Um, and during this time, I know that you um, you were able to or you had the chance to go to to visit home and to visit family and to visit the Gordons a couple of times. Um, And during that time, you were able to also visit with um, authorities. And you took some files down there as well? I did. Um, I went to Tennessee and took all of our files with us. And to say it was a file um, is an understatement. It was a huge file. It was actually so large that 
my, my luggage too heavy and I actually had to like to remove it from my luggage and carry it on board with me. <laughs> um, handed this file over to authorities and um, I just, you know, we want the public to know that it's in the authorities' hands at this point. That being said, um, we want everyone to know that just because, you know, things are quiet on our end um, doesn't mean things aren't being handled because um, this case is being worked on diligently. And, um, you know, again, all the information that we have collected over the last two and a half years um, was collected um, and it's now been handed over. Mm -hmm. And now while you were in Tennessee, you were able to also go and actually visit the crime scene and hike back into the land between the lakes and see the actual location, right? Yeah, we did actually. We took a team of people with us, including um, Trish and Deb, um, you know, the, the girls' sisters, and it was actually their first time to go back there. And it was both, um, it was a beautiful day, but it, and warm actually, um, but it was chilling and I don't know. I don't. I guess I wouldn't say peaceful, but it was eerie, and yeah, it's a hard. It's hard to explain how we all felt. I think at the time we really didn't know what we were gonna find, if we would even find the exact location, but we did have someone with us that knew exactly where everything was, and so we got back there easily and with no snakes mm -hmm. or no <laughs> wild hogs or anything there. So we got back there and someone pointed, you know, exactly where um, the party scene was, exactly where Carla was, and then pointed down a hill exactly where Vicky's body was found. And this is the most chilling part. Um, when he pointed to where Vicky's body was located, um, we walked down the hill and there were two old logs and they were still embedded in the ground and they were disintegrated but still there and it was a perfect spot to where um, a shallow grave would have been and according to um, Trish and other family members that saw pictures of the girls bodies after they were found the crime scene pictures it's exactly what it looked like when Vicky's body was found so it is our belief that that is exactly where Vicky's body was found Oh my gosh, that must have been so heart-wrenching just to think about the murder scene and the bodies being there and what happened on that 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 day, um, especially for, for you and for Trish and for Deb as well. Yeah, and again, back to our social media followers, you know, and if you're not on our social media page, um, Facebook and Instagram, you can see that picture. Um, we placed it on there. You can see the two logs because if you do remember, um, the girls were placed between two logs, you know, and covered with leaves and sticks. So you can see that um, the, the two logs that we believe is where Vicky's body was. Mm, so kind of like a raised grave almost, like between the two logs and trying to bury them in between. Yeah, and like I said, the two logs were still, like they were down but they were, and they were really, really old. So if you, know, if you kind of even touched it, it started to fall apart. Mm -hmm. So we kind of wanted to leave it intact in case authorities wanted to go back there and, and see where it was. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so one other thing just to, just to call out, I know um, you'd mentioned that the case is actively being worked on and I know several questions have come up, especially on our Facebook page about the DNA and the testing that is happening with the DNA. Um, just wanted to give everybody an update that that is still in progress. We really can't talk about it 
Um, because if, you know, if there's any information at, that they are going to be using from the testing um, in, in moving forward with um, identifying who or who, whom, I guess, or the multiple people that might have been involved um, in these murders, we're not able to, to share that information so that it can be um, used within a, a court case. Right. That they would, you know, authorities would never share that information. So that, you know, to answer everyone's question, um, they, they keep asking us, and I believe they, you know, keep asking the DA as well, like what's happening with that. Um, I don't think we're going to get that answer until, like you said, there is a trial or an arrest or, you know, and hopefully <laughs> that comes sooner than later, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Now, Amelia, we have learned some stuff since the last time we have um, shared information with our audience. So what is, what is something that we can share with them that has come to light just in the recent last few months? Yeah, one thing of a bit of information that I know, you know, we are going to be able to share is that they, you know, everybody talks about an eyewitness that saw the girls get into the truck, you know, or talking to the man in the blue truck. But there are actually four, at least four documented reports of witnesses um, seeing Carla and Vicki get in the blue truck. Um, two witnesses detailed exactly what the driver looked like. And to be frank, um, it is not like the sketch. You know, one of them especially doesn't look like the sketch at all. Yeah, that seems to be um, a very interesting piece of information because there were people that were literally right behind the truck, right? Mm -hmm. They were driving and they saw the truck with their own eyes on that day. Well, yeah, and, and to be fair, you know, that sketch that was, you know, in the paper and modified, um, to be upgraded, so I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, like to be age progressed, mm -hmm. um, that sketch could be morphed into anyone. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone has called us like things that looks like their ex-boyfriend or it looks like <laughs> this person, it looks like that person. So that, that sketch could literally be, you know, you can morph it probably into anybody. But, you know, one witness in particular um, detailed the driver as having shoulder length hair. So, and this driver got a really good look mm -hmm. or this you know this witness got a really good look at the driver and detailed him as being in late 20s early 30s possibly and had shoulder length hair with a gun rack in the back of the truck so this person got a pretty good look at this person yeah and just from what we've come to understand i don't think they were ever really followed up with it, no it doesn't seem to be that way um, you know, Lainey, something I wanted to ask you is like, what, what is the one thing in this case that, you know, like you think about sometimes at night, like what, what can you, you know, since we've started this, what that you just, you just can't shake? Like, what is it something you think about? I guess the one thing that I can't, I mean, it's kind of going back to the, the blue truck. Everybody has told us that Carl and Vicki wouldn't have gotten into a vehicle that they didn't know people. So one either they they knew this person in the blue truck um which i think is very very highly likely or two the other piece of information that we got from marginelle was that the truancy officer came to their house that day right after school which is about the exact same time they left to walk to the furnace and if you look at the the directions that they would be going 
she should have passed the girls on the road to the furnace, but she didn't, or at least you would have thought that she would have mentioned that if she was going to their house or would have stopped and talked to the girls. So either they knew these people that were in the truck or they were trying to dodge being caught by the truancy officer. I don't know. It just, there's a lot, a lot of questions around who was in the blue truck, who that person looked like, and what happened to the girls after they got into the blue truck. Because it is clear now with all of these eyewitnesses that they did get into the blue truck and then they were not seen after that. Correct. Um, you know, for me, since day one we started this case and we got to look at the autopsy report, I can't shake on one of the final pages. There's the statement that's randomly in there from the medical examiner um, that this statement came from Jack Charlton. And he made the statement that says she was wearing a necklace that her boyfriend recently gave her and she never took it off. And that just doesn't sit right with me. I can't understand um, why Jack Charlton knew that, and, and he's referencing Vicki because the way, we, we already know Carla had a necklace on when her body was found. And he references the silver necklace, necklace, Carla had on a gold necklace and he's referencing this silver necklace. And how, I'd like to know how Jack Charlton knew Vicki had a necklace. Um, the family didn't even know Vicki had this necklace. Why is Jack concerned about this necklace? And how does he know he, she has this necklace? And how does she know a boyfriend gave her this necklace? Um, I, this is the part that's always bothered me from the beginning. I, I don't understand why the statement was made by Agent Jack Charlton. Mm-hmm. No, I totally, totally agree with you. That just doesn't really make sense that he would even mention it at all. Right. Uh but Amelia, let's make no mistake, just because we don't currently have any additional information that we can share um, without compromising the case, we continue to advocate for the voice of Carla and Vicki. So if anybody listening has been hesitant to this time to call and give information or they know something about the case, let us give you the chance to do that. We Um, are going to be able to share your information with the proper authorities. We, to this date, have never, ever shared any of our sources publicly, um, and we can promise that that will be the case moving forward as well. We just want to make sure that we have all of the information that we possibly can as the things are progressing with this case so that we can put together the proper picture of what happened on that day with Carla and Vicki. Oh, recently, another potential witness to seeing the girls passed away. And we are extremely grateful to this witness for coming forward and telling us everything that they knew. The family is in our thoughts and in our prayers. And we know of others that have information to share. And we just urge you to share that information before it may be too late. You know, it's been over 40 years, and I know a lot of time has passed but we really, really could use any information that anybody has, no matter how small. Um, And we urge you to share that as soon as you possibly can. Yeah, and anybody out there, again, this story and this podcast is about Carla and Vicki, and it will continue to be, and we will always continue to update you on anything that we can share. Um, At this time, everything that 
is available, we can't use for, without compromising this case. So at this time, we are going to start sharing mini episodes, mm -hmm. sort of like we did with Hugh Allen Heflin. Um, so if anyone out there has a story they want told, or they know of a mysterious death, a suspicious suicide, a missing person, or a murder solved or even unsolved in you know the land between the lakes area or or in that part of Tennessee, you know this is your chance to tell your story and ask the public for help. You know while we are letting the authorities do their job on Carla and Vicky's case, um, we would like to tell other stories and help other people in this community. So please let us know. You know you can call us or you can you know you know, message us on mm -hmm. our social media pages or email us, however you would like to reach out to us, uh, let us know. And we would like to tell your story or someone in your family, if there's someone you're looking for, or, you know, you're, you think someone um, is out there, just let us know and we will tell your story as well. Yes, we would love to help. And most of all, we thank you all for listening. Um, we wouldn't be in this place with this case right now if it wasn't for all of the people who have been listening and helping to give us information and give the authorities information during this time. Again, it's actively being worked on, so um, that's all thanks to you and thanks to the information that we've been able to gather through this podcast. So thank you guys. Thank you for listening to Murder at Land Between the Lakes. Music by ND44. Produced by Discrepancy Podcast. Hosted and edited by Lainey Sullivan and Amelia Courtney.